It's time for our scripture reading. Uh, Scripture this week comes from Luke chapter 17, uh, verses 12 through 19. And it says this. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Well, this week, as any other week, I get ready to write my message, right? Because uh, if there's one thing that I can tell you about being a pastor, it is that writing messages never ends, right? Until the day you retire, you will be writing a message every moment of the rest of your life, Uh, which it's a good thing that that's one of my favorite parts, (laughs) right? Because I get to do it every single week, right? So I, so I work on it a little bit on Monday and I'm looking at the scripture and I'm like, all right, here, we're going to, we're going to do something with that. And on Tuesday, I'm like, okay, I think I'm going to do something with that. And then finally on Wednesday, right? Because this is how it goes. As much as you, like, I would love for God to just give me my message every Monday morning so I could call it good for the week, right? But instead what happens is I go throughout the week, I'm working, I'm working. And on Wednesday, I finally get to the point where it hits me. I'm like, yes, right? Because every pastor knows there are messages that you write. And on Sunday morning, right before you get up, you're going, I don't know if this is going to work. And then there are other messages that like on Monday morning, you're going, I can't wait for Sunday. And so this week on Wednesday, I finally have that moment, right? I finally have that moment where I'm like, yes, this is the message. We're going to go there. And then on Thursday morning, I woke up with this insane urge that I needed to scratch all of it and start over. (laughs) And I said, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Because I knew that on Thursday, uh, Randy and Hannah and I were going to this conference called Awaken. uh, This one day conference that some friends of mine were putting on over in Upland. And uh, so I was like, I have no time to rewrite a message today, God. I have no time tomorrow. I got no t- How am I going to rewrite my message? It's already halfway through the week, God. Why couldn't you have told me this on Monday, right? And so then we go to this conference, and about lunchtime I went, oh, that's why he told me to rewrite it, right? Because there are more important things I need to talk about this week than the 10 lepers that I just read about. But I was so disappointed, right? Because I had a great message about the 10%, right? Any, anybody else? Anybody a numbers person? Anybody? A few people? <laughs> Literally just a few people. Uh, but, so, because I, I, I love stats, right? I love statistics. Um, you know, one of the groups that, um, that I follow is Barna, which is one of the groups that does a lot of study on church statistics, right? And it was actually, it was shared at Thursday on our conference. The, the latest Barna study was out on Wednesday. Um, it was very depressing. <laughs> it showed that um, almost 50% of pastors younger than 45 have thought about quitting this year. Like, not just leaving their church, but quitting altogether. And that upwards of 35% of all pastors in general have thought about quitting this year. Now, look, I don't know if you know this, right? Obviously, everywhere is kind of short on people right now. But in the church, we've been short on pastors for years. (laughs) Years, right? This is why in the Methodist church, you have pastors, a friend of mine. Actually, some of you know him, Rob Neal, if you remember from way back a little bit, right? Rob pastors in Columbia City, and he oversees four other churches, (laughs) right? 
So, so we already have this issue, right? So, so stats, I love stats. And I was going to share these stats and I'm like, oh, I'm so excited. And God's like, no, that's not it. <laughs> right? Because there's something bigger that we need to talk about. And so my sermon today really has three points. All right. I got three points today. I'm going to call them uh, an apology, a promise, and a challenge. Uh, so I'll start with the apology. Uh, let's, let's think back for almost two years now to February of 2020. Uh, our lives changed drastically in the months of February and March, right? So the first thing that happened is before COVID uh, really shut the church down, when COVID was just getting started up, on the very last Sunday of February, I met with the staff parish relations committee at this church, and they said, hey, we think we'd like for you to be our pastor. And I said, well, that's good, because I think God also wants me to be your pastor. And so the very next Sunday, we announced that I'd be moving here as of July 1st, right? That's a big change, right? Pastor changes can be hard. Uh, pastor changes uh, are not fun. Even in the United Methodist Church, where I'm going to be honest, the average pastor moves like every four years in the UMC, right? It's, we, we're getting better. I think we're up to six now, maybe, but, uh, but it's, it's hard, right? Pastor changes are hard, uh, and so part of the reason it's hard is because you get used to one person's gifts and their personality and their style, and you get a whole different person, the next person, right? And so it's hard, but there's also like a blessing in that because it means you also get different gifts from different pastors as they go along, right? And if you remember uh, in the history of our, of our church specifically, right, we had, we had Dick Linden, who was very different from Ed and Brenda, who are very different from me, right? It's, it's a whole wide spectrum of, of gifts and talents and, and calls. And so that's a hard piece. And then like three weeks after that, right, we're like, hey, we're getting a new pastor. And then three weeks later, church shut down, right? We, we could not worship together for months on end. Then when we did gather, we could only do it outside. Then COVID got worse again last winter and we had to go back to being online only. My goodness, what a mess. <laughs> The last two years have been really difficult, not only because we have a pastoral change, but then you throw in the fact that we can't even all agree on how to approach this thing, right? When, when I asked, when, my, when I said we could only worship online, people complained. When I opened the church back up, people complained. When I said we have to wear masks, people complained, right? And then I had other people who said, well, not everybody's wearing one, so I'm not going to come, right? The last two years of my life, like, don't get me wrong, being a pastor is hard enough to please people, the last two years have been impossible, <laughs> right? It's been impossible. And so we just do the best we can. I think it's been very freeing for me. It's been freeing for me because my one goal in life, really, I guess I have two goals. My goals are to listen to Jesus and to say yes to Jesus. That's it. Those are my two goals in life, right? I felt like this last couple of years made it really easy for me to do that. Because normally I would have these thoughts that go through my head, like, well, how about, what, will, what, what will such and such think if I do that? Or, you know, what will this person do if I do that? Will they come if I do that? I didn't have to think about any of that because I knew that no matter what I decided, somebody wasn't coming, <laughs> right? So all I had to think about was, what does God want me to do? So that part of it was a little easier. But we have all of this stuff going on, right? We had, we had a pastoral change. We had COVID. Then you throw in the building conversations. Oh my goodness, <laughs> Guys, listen, if I did not think that was something that God had impressed upon me over and over again to bring up, I would have avoided that like the plague, right? In just the last like four months of my life, I've had, I've had people on Facebook who I've never met and who don't know me saying I should be fired, right? I, I, it's not even, I'm not even kidding. I, I've had people 
I've had people ask other staff members to be the pastor instead, <laughs> right? The last, this is just in the last four months, right? So, so we have not exactly had a great start. <laughs> it's been hard. It's been so hard, not just for me, but for you guys as well. It's been a difficult transition. These last two years have been rough. And so the apology part of this, my, my first third, the apology part of this comes in this. I have let a lot of these nitpicky stuff, this constant barrage of things, I've, I've realized recently that I've let it get to me. And there's a part of me that has become a little bit bitter and a little bit cold about it. And so the apology piece in this is, is, is in that, right? My apology is that I have let that happen, is that I've let myself buy into this idea that we can't all get along, that we can't find some common ground, that we can't agree on how to proceed in ministry, right? That, that, that certain people are being classified simply because they have voiced this thing, right? That's not Jesus. That's not Jesus. Jesus is, is full of mercy and grace, taking care of people, loving people, right? This is a guy who literally told you to love your enemies. I don't think I have enemies in the church, right? And so, so if, if I'm supposed to love my enemies, how much more so am I supposed to love the people that God has placed me over? And I've had moments over the last two years where that has been so hard. And so that's the apology piece of this. I, I am recognizing recently that I have let that get to me, that I've let all of this stuff get to me. And I'm working on it. Right? It's not just that, that I'm sorry for letting that happen. It's that I'm actually physically working on this. <laughs> right? I'm trying to be better at remembering that you know, those are two or three or four people in a church with at least 150. Right? Not everybody feels that way. I'm trying to make less generalizations and less, well, they said this or they said this. right? Because ultimately, the rumor mill always gets around. I always hear about it. So that's the first piece. That's the first piece. I, I, I felt this morning uh, God was impressing upon my spirit that I owed an apology for that. But the second piece is a promise. And the promise is really in, in two parts. The first promise is that I'm working on that. <laughs> I'm working on that. I'm working on, on how I'm handling those things. I'm working on how I approach those things, how I approach those people, right? I'm working on those things. But the other part of the promise is this. And this is, I don't know. I've been trying to find a nice way to word this. But it's not going to get any better. It's not going to get any better. Not, not the me how, me how I treat people. That is definitely going to get better because I'm working on it, right? That's how things get better. You work on them, right? What's not going to get better is, 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 what, is that my focus is still the same, right? My focus has always been I want to build the kingdom of God. Because when, when Jesus teaches and when, he, when you read the Gospels, Jesus talks about the kingdom like over 160 times, <laughs> Like over and over and over again, Jesus is talking about the kingdom and establishing the kingdom of God. In fact, John the Baptist, before Jesus even comes, is baptizing people because the kingdom of God is coming near. And then Jesus comes and he says, what? He says, repent for the kingdom of God is near. <laughs> right? This is his whole message, is that the kingdom of God is here and now. <laughs> that, that faith is not about punching your ticket to heaven. Right? Because that's, that's, that's too often how we approach it. Right? We, we write off all the crazy stuff Jesus did. Right? The healings and the miracles and all that stuff. We're like, oh, he did that. That's great. I just want to go to heaven. 
Well, when you talk about a kingdom being established, a kingdom just means that somebody's in charge, right? There's a king. That's why it's called a kingdom, right? And so Jesus comes and he says, look, God's in charge. The world works in the way that God says that it should work. And I, and I was having these thoughts during, during our second session of our, of our conference this last week. Because uh, our second speaker, his whole message was on remembering your calling. Remember what you're called to do. Right? And I thought back to my calling, because my calling, as I've worked this out in, in college and in seminary and even overseas as I'm on mission, my calling is to be a part of establishing the kingdom of God no matter where I'm at. I just want to be a part of establishing the kingdom of God, which means, which means I, am, I am teaching people... I'm teaching people to be under the authority of God. What does it look like to follow Jesus? What does it look like to be a disciple? What does it look like to be devout? But it also means that I'm going out into the world to get other people to the they know, hey, life looks a lot different if you just hand the reins over to the king. <laughs> and I was thinking about this during our lunch break because I thought, man, that was my calling, God. Like, have I lost sight of that? And I'm like, what do I do with that? <laughs> like, like, what do I do with a calling to establish the kingdom? And then, wouldn't you know it, we get done with lunch and we go to the next session and guess what that guy talks about? <laughs> the kingdom. Isn't that funny how God works that way? And so the promise, my promise in this, it comes out of my second session from Thursday, my promise is that uh, there is one thing you're going to get from me over and over and over and over again, and it's a focus on God's kingdom. It's a focus on building the kingdom at whatever cost, at any sacrifice that I have to make, right? I, I have people who think that, that I have some vendetta against our downtown building. I don't. Honestly, I'd sell all of it, every piece of it, if it meant that we could build the kingdom in Goshen, Indiana. I'd sell everything, including this building. Why? Because that's what Jesus wants us to do. He says, you should sacrifice, you should do whatever it takes to build the kingdom of God. Do whatever it takes. Right? This is the same guy that when people came and they're like, Jesus, I got to bury my loved one. He's like, well, you can't be my disciple then. Right? He's like, you gotta, you're ready now. It's the harvest season right now. Either you're in or you're out. And so my promise to you in that, the promise piece, right? With apology and then the promise. The promise piece is that that's, that's who I am and I don't know how to be anything else. <laughs> and honestly, I don't want to be anything else. The challenge in that is that God gives us this choice. Right? He doesn't force us to be kingdom people. He gives us the option. <laughs> and we see this played out. In fact, in the book of Acts chapter 19, and, and even in the Gospels, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share more about the Acts 19 one in a second. But in the Gospels, Jesus constantly had run-ins with people, right? Jesus always had somebody ticked off at him. And you know, wouldn't you know it? It was always the same group, Right? It was the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the, 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 the elders of the synagogue, the church leaders, right? See, our, our, our final session on Thursday, he, uh, our speaker shared this old, old quote, this old thought about church folk and kingdom folk. <laughs> that every, every church has church folk and kingdom folk. And as much as the church should be kingdom-minded, it's not always the case, <laughs> Because the church folk, the church folk are all about preservation. How do we, how do we keep our institution alive? How do we keep our, our method alive? How do we continue to do things exactly as we've done them? The church has other considerations that have nothing to do with the kingdom. And he says that, that church folk are not good for the kingdom, and that kingdom folk 
are rarely welcome in the church. Because <laughs> the kingdom folk are the ones who push you and they make you think different and they make you do things different. They make you do things you don't even want to do. And you might say, well, that doesn't make sense, right? Well, there's two stories. There's two stories that he shared on Thursday that I want to share with you. And just so you know, it's Tim Johnson is this guy's name. He's a pastor at Frimmer's Chapel, little church in the middle of nowhere, Southern Indiana. When he got there, they had 60 people. And this week they're having 10 worship services with 1,200 people in them. Dude was like, I kid you not. You, you think we have problems. He was threatened. They had to get the FBI involved when there were death threats against his children from the church, right? So. So, so he, he shares this first story of Jesus and it's, Jesus is going to the temple, he's going to the synagogue and he gets up and he shares this passage about how the spirit of the Lord is upon me, right? He's the Messiah. And he sits down and he says, this is fulfilled. I'm him. And people are like, whoa, okay. All right. But then he starts talking about how in the old Testament, the prophets often had people healed who weren't part of Israel and people got huffy. <laughs> In fact, they got so huffy, they chased Jesus out of town to the edge of a cliff, and he had to supernaturally walk back through the crowd to avoid being thrown off a cliff, right? So look, church folk would throw Jesus, God, off a cliff, right? Because why? We want to preserve the church. But the story I want to share with you from Acts chapter 19 is actually a story of Paul. And uh, Paul has his whole life transformed, right? And so he's traveling in through Ephesus, and he goes to the synagogue, and it says he preaches there for three months. For three months, he preaches in the synagogue, and it says specifically, he preached the kingdom of God for three months. And after three months, people were so upset that they wouldn't let him back in the synagogue anymore. <laughs> right? This is the message of God, right? This is the message Jesus brought. The kingdom is near. Come be part of the kingdom. Right? Jesus makes this analogy over and over and over again. So they, so they kick him out. They won't let him back in. So instead, he just goes essentially to the town meeting place where everybody gathered. And he teaches the kingdom of God there for two years, <laughs> right? He lasted three months in the church, two years in the community. Why? Because what we talked about a few weeks ago, they were hungry, right? They wanted the message. They wanted the kingdom. They wanted the fact that God would be their leader, that God would make the decisions, that God was in control. It's what they wanted. Synagogue didn't want it. <laughs> synagogue wanted to preserve the synagogue, their way of life, their way of doing things. And so the challenge, the challenge in this, the challenge in this is, are we going to be church folk or are we going to be kingdom folk? Because he doesn't force us into either one. If we, if we want to be church folk, that's totally fine, right? That's totally fine. And what I mean by that is it's totally fine because what I mean is the church will stay open as long as possible, as long as possible. And maybe, maybe it will stay open long enough that you can die in your own church. But the thing is, the fruit, the fruit they were looking for, growth and people, and I don't know if you guys know this, but when Kyle was here, we had a great moment of prayer afterwards, and, and, and the vision that Kyle got was this building completely full of people, like to the rafters with people, right? But we don't get that if we're just focused on being church. <laughs> that is a fruit of being focused on the kingdom, on what it looks like to take care of people, what it looks like to live a life like Jesus, right? To be focused on the kingdom of God, establishing his reign, not just in our church, but in our community, in our, in our families, right? Because I, I, we all know you guys are going to go to family events this Thursday, and it's gonna, there's going to be a bunch of people who don't know Jesus. 
And even the people who do, do know Jesus, there is no guarantee they're kingdom folk. <laughs> and so, so the challenge in this is, which, which are we going to be? Are we going to be church folk and we're going to focus on preserving what's already here? Or are we going to focus on the kingdom of God, which is about growth and transformation, right? It's preservation or transformation. You don't get to do both. That's the hard part, right? The, the, the easy part is to be able to say, look, I'm sorry for the way I've acted. The easy part is to say, I know what I want to be about. The hard part is for the church to come in agreement and say, it's not just one or two or three or four people who are going to be kingdom minded, but as a church, we are going to make kingdom decisions. That's the harder part. That's the harder part. So there's an, an apology, promise, and the challenge. And so the challenge is, are we going to be a kingdom church? Or are we going to be a churchy church? <laughs> I know which one I want. <laughs> I know which one I want. And can we come together and do kingdom work? Because let me tell you that in then Acts 19, right? Paul, Paul preaches for two years. And you know what it says? It says that there were miracles on miracles on miracles everywhere Paul went. It says that people would just touch his handkerchief and they'd be healed. Sign me up for the kingdom. My goodness. Sign me up, right? And we, and we, we pray this, right? We pray this when we pray the Lord's prayer, right? We pray the Lord's prayer every Sunday downtown. Many of you are familiar with it. All right. We pray the Lord's prayer. We say what? Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? We're asking God for his kingdom to come. So we ought to be people who are helping to establish it. That ought to be all it is. And in the end of the prayer, I love this. It says what? For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Those three things are always connected. Kingdom and power and glory. It is only when you're focused on the kingdom that you're going to see the power of God and the glory of God. It's those things that brought people to Christ. In fact, in that story about Paul, my last piece before I pray, not only did Paul see miracles everywhere he went, not only did he preach for two years in the city, it says that because of his two years there, <laughs> everywhere in Asia heard the good news. In all of Asia, because of what Paul did for two years in this one little town, all of Asia got to hear about the kingdom of God. So are we going to be a church that tells people all about our church? Are we going to talk about the kingdom? Right? Are we going to be a church that people go, oh yeah, I heard they have that, that thing, that church. Yeah, yeah. Right? Here's the cool part. We, we are slowly becoming less of that. Right? When I meet people in the community and I tell them I'm the pastor at first UMC in the Life Center. Right? Now, don't get me wrong. A lot of people just ask me, so UMC stuff. <laughs> don't want to talk about it. But a lot of people now... Right? I've noticed over the last six months, a lot of people say, hey, I'm the, I'm the pastor at First UMC in the Life Center. Right? This just happened to me last week. I'm starting up a podcast with a buddy of mine, and I met some people from his church, and they go, oh, you guys are the ones who did Soak the City. <laughs> Ran into a guy the other day, goes, oh, you guys are the ones who have that disc golf course out there. <laughs> right? We're, we're starting to become known for kingdom stuff, <laughs> right? For stuff that advances somebody else's day. 
or somebody, something that makes somebody else's time better, right? This is the stuff. That's what the kingdom looks like, to be known for things that are Jesus-related, right? To be known as people who take care of the community, who love God, who love each other. That's kingdom stuff. That's kingdom stuff. In fact, we've been doing this stuff for years, right? We've been doing this stuff for years. I meet people at pastor's conferences regularly who are like, oh man, I remember going to that conference that, they, that, that Dick Linden put on at the Life Center <laughs> years ago. It's been years, right? I meet people regularly who are like, oh man, you guys are the ones who did that living word thing every year, right? We've been about kingdom stuff. We've just kind of forgotten that we've been about kingdom because COVID has forced us into this insular thinking, right? How do we preserve? How do we get back to normal? Look, I don't want to be normal. <laughs> I tell my kids this all the time. You want to be part of our family? You got to be weird, right? I don't necessarily want to go back to normal because when I looked at the world around me, normal in the church wasn't working. Normal in the church left people outside our doors who don't know Jesus, who don't have a place to sleep at night, who don't have food to eat, who don't have a car to drive, right? That was normal. I don't care to go back to that. What I want to see instead is where when it describes the church in the book of Acts, it says there was no needy person among them, right? Everybody got cared for. That's what I think should be normal. That's what should be normal. Normal should be baptisms every week. Normal should be people coming to faith every day of the week, not just on Sundays at, at, at worship. We gotta redefine what normal is. And COVID has given us this great opportunity to do it, right? COVID has given us the chance to say, you know what, we're done being the churchy church. We get to, we get to restart and be a kingdom church again to remember that this is what God has called us to. This is what we set off on. The fact, that, the fact that this church even exists is because this church at some point was kingdom-minded. So what's that gonna look like in five years or 10 years or 50 years, right? Because my goal is not just to, to see you off into the sunset and, and give you a high five before you enter heaven, right? My goal is it that our church would be so kingdom-minded that we, not only do we just survive and exist for five, 10, 20 more years, but that we, we thrive more and more and more as we live into the kingdom. Because it's God who brings the fruit, right? There's no program, there's no certain music we can play. There's, there's nothing we do that brings fruit. Scripture is pretty clear, God brings fruit. The one thing that we can do to be fruitful, one thing, is to be faithful to God. That's it, right? Remember my two goals in my life? I wanna to listen to God and say yes to God. That's literally the only thing we can do. God brings the fruit after that. And the thing that Jesus calls us to over and over and over again in the gospels is to be kingdom people. But he doesn't force us, he gives us a choice. If we want, we can, we can send our Pauls off into the street, into downtown Goshen, and he can go preach there for two years. <laughs> Or we can say, hey, Paul, let's get it done right here. <laughs> and that's our choice. That's our choice. Let me pray. Lord, we know your heart for us. We know that you desire that we would be kingdom people. 
not concerned with preservation, but with transformation. And so, Lord, we, we hear the challenge in this. To be, to be kingdom people who have no other agenda but to do what you want us to do. To give you the authority in our lives. To give you the authority in the lives of our church. To give you the authority in Goshen. So God, help us. Help us to be kingdom people, not church people. Forgive us, Lord, of every place that we have fallen short, every place where we've, we've erred on the side of being, of being churchy. We know, God, that when, when people talk about the issues with the church, that's what they're talking about. And so we, we repent, Lord, of those moments in our lives. We know we were wrong and we want to be better. So God, help us. We lay at your feet and we just ask that you would help us to be kingdom people, to be people who love one another and who love you enough to always say yes. Help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.